Yo, what's up, people? I'm your host, Jay Will, and I would like to welcome you to Inspire God's People, where we balance faith and business to guide you to your purpose. This is episode 218. Should Christians want riches? Yeah, baby. That is the question of the hour today. Should you, as a Christian, you know, a believer out there, want riches? You know, and I know, like most people off top is thinking, of course, baby, I should want riches. And some of y'all are like, nah, Christians shouldn't be rich. You feel what I'm saying? And I think, look, first things first, my goal is to normalize healthy conversations about finances for Christians. Why? Uh, first things first, because poverty is an idol that I really want to tear down as it relates to people around me, connected to me, my friends, my family. Poverty is something. It's like I'm. It's legitimately just an idol that I am on a mission. Specifically this year, my mindset is like, yo, we need to tear this idol down. And for me, it's like, well, first things first, we need to actually normalize healthy conversations about money because one of the challenging things about money as a Christian is you have people on these extreme ends of the spectrum of like either people are just like all about getting the bag and to the point where they lose sight of their biblical standards and lose sight of like, you know, how to get money God's way, right? It just becomes all about money um, or people uh, dare I say, um, have a way of romanticizing poverty. So it's like, hey, you're a believer. You think you're being poor makes you humble. Um, and, you know, you know, rich people are just evil and all those type of things. And one thing I've learned is people think like that because, look, some of us haven't had financial literacy, haven't been educated on how to talk about money, or we just have had bad experiences, right? We've seen people get money and lose themselves, and we are literally afraid of money. Now, I get it. On one hand, that sounds crazy to say and crazy to think, like being scared of money. I ain't scared of money. But, you know, they say actions speak louder than words, and sometimes your actions are going to tell you, uh, you know, where you stand in this scenario more so than your words. So today is all about answering this question, should Christians want riches? And I'm going to dive deep into this topic. So if you're a person out there, either you got some bread, you know what I'm saying? You got a little money and you trying to keep your faith, keep your sanity as a believer. Maybe you're a business owner and you're trying to like practice godly business principles or an aspiring entrepreneur. Um, or maybe you're poor. Maybe you come from poverty like me. Um, maybe you are on a journey in some capacity of just at the beginning and you just like, I just know I don't want to be poor, but you're afraid to have money. This conversation is for you. So let's dive into it. First things first uh, or second things second, because that whole little intro was first things first. Um, second thing, let's let's first just kind of dive into this topic one by one. Now, let me say this at the top. You know, sometimes there will be things that I will say that will sound like on the surface that I'm contradicting myself but I just challenge and encourage you uh, to be open in this conversation, uh, to come in a conversation and, and listen in like this and hopefully sharing your thoughts in the comments or what, however you want to do. Email me, Music at gmail.com. Whatever you want to do, how you want to express yourself, 
but let's do it in a mature way, right? So for me, I'm gonna just be real. A lot of this talking at each other, trying to be right or trying to be the smartest person in the room, it just doesn't work for me. I really enjoy diving into topics and really thinking because my goal is to really grow and to really inspire guys, people to grow as well. Uh, so we're going to have this conversation in a mature and respectful way. All right. First thing is for me, the question, I'm going to answer the question with a question. And that is, what can you handle? So when you think about as a Christian and asking yourself this question, like, should a Christian want riches? The first question I have is, what can you handle? That's right. Now, I know most of us think, shoot, I can handle 20 million. I can handle this. Like, mm, okay, whatever you say, Father. All right, what can you handle? Now, again, remember I said actions speak louder than words, so you might be sitting here like, oh, bro, I can handle a milli easy. All right, cool. Well, it's tax season, right? If you've done your taxes, some people are going to wait to the very last minute. I know. Again, that's behavioral right there. But when you get a lump sum of money, I'm just using tax season as an example. What do you do with your money? What can you handle? Do you get money and you just lose it? Meaning I tell people your money is like a bad kid. Like I go to the mall sometimes. I go in stores and I see y'all with y'all kids and I'm like, yo, who the mama, who the parent, who the parent, who the child? That's who the mama, who the mama, who the parent? I can talk, people. Y'all know this mug got to, I can't talk. All right, so the question is, who's in control? A lot of times I'm in public, I see a, a parent with their child and the kid just, okay, maybe not that. Maybe the kid is dang near cussing you out because they can talk. They're not even crying no more. They just whining and screaming. I was actually on a flight last week. Me and my wife were on a flight. And on this flight, you know, it was, first of all, there's a bunch of kids on this flight. But it was this one kid. She was losing her mind for the first five to seven minutes on this flight. And her mom and her dad was embarrassed and frustrated. And it took everybody around them to just be like, yo, it's okay. Like, we ain't even tripping, right? And they, you could tell it just eased their whole anxiety, right? What's my point with this? Your money is like a bad kid. If you don't tell it what to do, it's going to do what it want to do. Yep, that's what some of our money do. Do you know the term burning a hole in your pocket? Some of us are not in control of our money. Our money is in control of us. And I'm going to tell you the problem with this. When your money is in control of you, it's very hard for you to be living for God as a steward of your finances. So one of the, one of the healthy ways to think about money as a believer is to stop separating money from your relationship with God. What do I mean by this? Like, Money is something that is so connected to our spiritual behavior. So if I don't have self-control when I get money, that might mean God can't trust me with stuff. That might mean that like, yo, bro, like you can't be trusted. Like soon as you get something, you change or not necessarily you change, you're exposed because money doesn't typically change you. It exposes you. So some of us, if we, we have to learn how to be real with ourselves and say, what can we handle? And the reason that you have to know what you can handle is because as a believer, having money is about being a good steward to whom much is given, much is required, right? So that means that if God blesses you with a certain amount of money, you are now responsible for doing the right thing with that money. 
Now, I know a lot of us get a check and we don't think about God at all. Meaning, yeah, like, okay, maybe you pay your tithes in church. See, I'm talking deeper than that. In this whole idea of having a healthy conversation about money, as believers, we have to get beyond the surface. On the surface, the only way you ever really hear Christians talk about money is through the lens of tithes and offering in the church. That's great. I am I am not here to dismiss the importance of giving in church. All right. So pastors, don't worry about it. Don't be scared. I'm not here to tell you people don't give to your church. But what I am here to say is that some of us even make tithes and offering an idol. Remember, we're still on the topic of what can you handle. So some of us, okay, you get, you know, $10,000, you give $1,000 to church, you think you've done this great deed just because you gave $1,000 to church. Congratulations. I think there's an applause here. Oh, that's not it. Hold on. There we go. I got an applause button somewhere. Uh, my point is, all right, you give the 1000 and then with the 9000 you lose your mind. With the 9000 you don't place it anywhere properly. You don't put up money to save for your kids. You don't put up money for the future. You don't invest. Like with the 9000 the money just controls you. Guess what? You have not pleased God just because you gave him that 10%. In our relationship with Christ, in our walk with Christ, we got to get deeper than the 10%. Woo! I should just, see, this would be happening. When I got start talking to y'all, it start hitting me sometimes. Like, bro, with our money, we give God 10% and think we just wild out with the 90% and he don't see that. All right, let me, let me kick it with you. The parable of the talents, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. There's this parable in the, in the Bible. I've talked about it several times on this show. I wrote a song about it, like the here, here, go. Um, but there's a parable where this story is about these three servants, right? And this story is so powerful because these three servants are left with three different amounts of money, right? So one has a small amount and one, one gets two talents. They're called talents, like dollars, whatever, not literally equivalent to dollars, but a currency, right? So one gets two and another one gets five. And what you see in this story is that the one with five and the one with two, they take it and invest it and double the money. And so when the master comes back, then these servants have given more, meaning they have been good stewards. They could handle five. They could handle two. Notice here a couple of important things. Everybody got something different. So one of the ways that I like to think about money in the most healthy way is that, bro, it ain't about how much you have necessarily. So much of us get caught on that. Like, so who cares if you got 10 million versus 8 million, a million versus 800,000? Like, don't get so caught up on the amount of money, you know, uh, 800,000 versus 100,000, whatever it may be. It's up to you to manage what God entrusts you with. So, again, when we start thinking about should a Christian want riches, what can you handle? Because here's the crazy thing in that story. The servant that was given one talent dug a hole and buried the one they were given, and the servant was upset. The master came back upset with them. It's interesting to me sometimes how the one with the least thinks it's okay to do the least. So this person is really reminds me of a lot of what I see in poverty in life itself is that remember I said like some of us can make uh romanticize poverty and we think to ourselves, well, 
I haven't been given much, so I don't have to do nothing. Like, I only been given this little bit, so I'm going to just chill and relax because I'm poor and the system is against me and the man did this. And we create all these excuses based on the little we have versus focusing our mindset on doing the right thing with the little we have and honoring God with it and then understanding that he then in turn will bless us for that. That's the first part of this conversation. What can you handle? So I think it's important for us to sit and think about that for ourselves. Before we even answer this question, should now now it's not should should a Christians want riches? It's like replace Christians with your name. Should Jermaine want riches? Should you want riches? The question is, what can you handle? What can you be trusted with? Because what you don't want to happen is the last thing you want to happen is to get chase the bag, whatever, get an amount of money. And then because you can't handle it, because you haven't developed and God ha isn't able to trust you with it, it completely separates you from Christ. Now, we see in the Bible, sometimes this happens. We'll talk about some of it later. And so this is why money is such, in my mind, an important thing, because there are instances in Scripture where I see finances um, used as a tool and um, providing access to resources. You see kings, right, that were great kings that were followers of Christ, uh, that trusted God, that lived righteously. And then you see the same people in those similar positions, and they do the exact opposite, and they're evil. And so the question is not as much about the money itself, but it's really like a mirror into our own souls to say, what can you be trusted with? Now, I know that's a tough question to answer, honestly, because mostly everybody wants money, right? Or at least most people want what money provides, right? Even if you are not necessarily chasing money yourself. Um, there's this quote. I wrote it down. I didn't want to remember it. I mean, I did. <laughs> I can't talk, people. I can talk. There's a reason that I put this mug right there. All right. Um, a determined poor person will get more value out of life than a spoiled rich person. That just hit me as I was preparing for the show. A determined poor person, per, person, person, it's late, ain't it? I've been working all day. A determined poor person will get more value out of life than an entitled spoiled rich person. Now, let me unpack that because some people might disagree with that. And that's cool. If you disagree with it, tell me about it and why. But a determined poor person starts at zero, right? Now, we talk about value of life. I think as a believer, one of the second things we have to really think through is we have to stop um, equating amounts of money to value in life, meaning oh, this guy's a millionaire. So then now everything he says is worth a million dollars. If you have a guy that's a millionaire next to someone who only makes $45,000 a year, it doesn't necessarily make the millionaire the expert or the, the right person in every aspect of life. But if we're being honest, that's how we treat it a lot of times. But when you talk about the value that you get out of life, um, value in life to me is about how we live for God, right? It's about how do I walk in this life um, to be the best servant that I can be to Christ? And with that might mean, can I be the best husband, the best brother, son, whatever parent, whatever you are? Um, it's about how do we grow to become that? Now, none of us are just walking around as that 
in its fullness. I'm not just this great person like, oh my God, inspire God's people at all times. No, I get mad when I'm driving in the car too. And I look at the person next to me and almost want to say something too. But the point I'm making is we think about the value that we get out of life. A poor person can live for God, can be good to people, um, and can be determined. This is why I said a determined poor person. They can work themselves up to having, let's say this person works to, you know, they make $75,000 a year. Um, they give to people. They help others. They save. They invest. They live a comfortable life. They live a valuable life. You can have a, a rich person that inherited the money from their great-grandparents, um, the person is an idiot, not nice to anyone, selfish, does everything for themselves, um, doesn't even think about other people in any regard in life, but yet they drive a Bentley, they have all this money, they mistreat uh, you know, waitresses and waiters when they go to restaurants. Listen, this person isn't getting a lot of value out of life. And I understand that we are conditioned to think that just because people have money that they have value, but I don't believe that. I think this is an important piece of answering this question as a believer, because I think as a Christian, when God blesses you with money, his intention isn't for you to lose your faith, isn't for you to lose your biblical values. Now, if you follow the ways of the world, what will happen is you will get this money Start feeling yourself, start acting a little different, right? Start being arrogant, maybe mistreating people, being entitled, thinking you are better than people. That's the problem right there. When you think you better than people, Mama Peggy, what up, dope? So as a believer getting money, you don't you you can't allow yourself to get to a point where you start thinking you are more valuable than other people, right? And I think that's something, if we just being honest, again, even if you don't say it with your words, a lot of times we say it with our actions. All right. Here's another thing as we think about should Christians want riches. Mindset is worth more than money. And we just talked about it a little bit, you know, with the mindset of this determined poor person. But when you think about like the, I call it the millionaire mindset. And I say the millionaire mindset is worth more than a million dollars. And the reason I say this is because it's more important for me to think a certain way than to have some. I'll give you an example. The millionaire mindset, um, this is something I developed when I, because I look at, I've read a lot of books and studied the behaviors of people who have success and millions of dollars. And then I've looked at those things and paralleled them with the word of God. And I've seen some similarities and I've said, okay, these people who are getting money, even if they don't believe in God, they are actually exercising biblical principles. The problem is exercising biblical principles without actually believing in Jesus Christ and having faith in him is really useless in the spiritual realm, although it is valuable in the natural realm. But we are trying to find the best of both of those worlds. We don't want to be rich without God. You get what I'm saying? And we want to walk with God and find out, all right, Lord, what are you entrusting me with? Um, what should I be a good steward of? And of course, we want to have um, a good experience here on earth. So I don't think there's nothing wrong with money. I just think that if we let money control us or we are conditioned to talk about money through the lens of pop culture and celebrities and all of that, nothing against celebrities out there. But it's just the fact that like there is a way that people talk about money in the world that leaves God out. Right. So what I try to do is try to see 
Like, where are the biblical principles there? So we're talking about mindset right now. When you talk about mindset, one of the things that millionaires believe in, people, and I'm talking about self-made millionaires, if you take a person that has gone from nothing, there's many rag-to-riches stories, gone from nothing to something, there's a couple of things that mostly all of them have done. And the very first thing is delayed gratification. They understand this idea of delayed gratification. And what does that mean? That means that they understand that if I get $5,000 today, I could go blow that $5,000, but that's the poverty mindset because the poverty mindset loves things and they love the now. But the millionaire mindset is about understanding the things in the future beyond today that have value that I might need to prepare for. Right. And I think that is a very strong, closely correlated biblical principle and value. This idea of really denying yourself. Right. Now we're talking about the mindset. The mindset of a Christian is to deny myself and follow Christ. Well, if I'm denying myself, that means that I am having delayed gratification because let's be honest, in my flesh, the thing that would be of the most uh, gratification to me instantly, instantaneously is doing whatever my flesh want to do. It's like, however my flesh want to wild out and we all got a flesh. So it's like, yo, however your flesh, my flesh want to wild out. Like, yeah, you feel those temptations. We are all human. I feel those temptations. Right. But the thing about it is, can I have the mindset of a believer to have delayed gratification to understand that to focus on Christ in this short term will put me in a better place in the long term. See how we talking about how you think? So if you start thinking about your relationship with God in the same way of your relationship with your money, to a certain extent, money is not God. Don't take that as that, right? What I'm saying is that if you start using these principles to grow your money, meaning, okay, you get $5,000 versus going out and blowing that money, let's think about the things in the future that are valuable. Uh, you have a child. Your child is going to, you know, want to get their first car one day or they're going to need money for a suit for graduation or whatever it is. Your child is going to have many things in the future that are beyond today that are needs. Right. So it's like, you know what? Let me take a thousand dollars of this five thousand and put it in the bank in my child's name in their account to cover their future needs. All right. Here's another one. OK, you know what? All right. I got these bills every month that I've been living check to check on. How about I put another $1,000 aside just to help me get slightly ahead with my bills? Now, instead of paying my phone bill two weeks late, I'm paying my phone bill two weeks early. Notice in these behaviors, we are developing a mindset. And in this mindset, you are being changed. Well, if you think about in Romans 12, I believe, man, now y'all going to make me go to the word of God. You feel me? I always got to go to the Bible. What up, Mel? How you doing, sister? Thank you. Thank you. I always got to go to the word of God. Um, be ye transformed by renewing your mind. That's Romans. I think that's 12 and 2. The thing, the reason that I'm pointing that out is because spiritual transformation in the Bible happens in the mind. Now, a lot of us think that money solves money problems. So what we do is we say, hey, this is where the stimulus checks and things like that come in. And I'm not about to get into politics, but I just want to make this quick point. That's why those type of checks don't change your life in the long term. 
because you're getting a handout without the mindset of what to do with the money. So what we keep doing is we keep applying money on top of the problem because we think money answers and solves money problems, but it doesn't. A new mindset solves money problems. Anybody out there, if you have money problems, I challenge you right now to start thinking about changing your mind. I just told you something simple. Pay your bills two weeks early versus two weeks late. You will start realizing that once you get ahead, now, just think about that, what it does to you mentally. When you are constantly behind on bills and constantly late on bills and paying late fees and overdrafting fees, and I've been there, so this ain't me pointing a finger. Don't take it like that. This is from someone who has walked that walk, lived that life, done it once or twice, and came back with some rice. All right, anyway, I don't know what that was about. I just needed to rhyme. I'm a rapper at heart. I needed to rhyme at the end. I've lived that life. I remember... One time about, whew, I guess it was about 14 years ago. Now time is passing. Um, but I can remember, man, I overdraft our account like negative $333. And I was calling the bank like, bro, I'm calling the bank like it's they fought. You know, ain't that crazy? I go out and I mismanage the money and I called them like it's their fault. But I was, I was hurting. I was panicking, bro. But the mindset of being behind does something to you psychologically. You're walking through your entire life always behind, settling for being behind. So you think it's just about the bills and I pay them whenever, but it's a mindset that you're developing. When you flip that and now you're ahead, see the Bible say be the head and not the tail, right? See, we say stuff like that, but then we our behavior doesn't reflect it. When you start paying stuff early versus late, it's a different vibe. You feel different. Now, all of a sudden, you feel ahead in your life. It starts pouring over into other aspects of your life, like I'm ahead. And then you start believing that. And now you can start walking and being ahead and not being behind, right? And so, again, it sounds like a, mind, a, a small thing, but that change of mindset with what you do with that $5,000, which we talked about 3000 of it, but even if you took the other 1000 and put it uh, used it for your daily account and maybe treated yourself to something and invested the last thousand, then now you have now, instead of taking 5,000 and done one crazy thing with it, you've thought about something and you've planted seeds. All right. I'm about to say something that is definitely controversial. You got to wait for this one. I'm about to say it. I wasn't planning to say this on this episode. This is really controversial. Money does grow on trees. Woo! Wow, I should just get up and walk out of the studio. Money does grow on trees. All right, who wants to argue? We're talking about a mindset here. I thought a lot about this. I actually had a whole episode that I was going to do called Money Does Grow on Trees. I decided not to do it. And for some reason during this conversation today, I just decided to say this. So now I'm going to unpack it. Money does grow on trees. What do I mean by this? A lot of times we talk about money. You believe this without even knowing you believe it. When you are in church and you talk about giving during tithes and offering, what do you say? It's seed sowing time. Woo! Come on, y'all. Sow your seeds. We already know that money is a seed. All right. I've thought a lot about seeds and planting. And I thought about the fact that when you take an apple seed, 
and plant it or apple tree. Uh, you know what? Let me not try to be an expert in something. I'm This one part right here on the type of seed, because I don't know, do you plant an apple like does an apple tree grow off an apple seed or a, is an apple tree seed? <laughs> I don't even know. But I just know the concept still makes sense. All right. When you plant a seed, maybe we should go with something else. I don't know. Let's let's go with an apple. And if I'm wrong, you're gonna have to deal with it. This is controversial. Money does grow on trees. When you take an apple seed and you plant it, it does not the seed doesn't just produce one apple. You get what I'm saying? If you plant the seed for an apple tree, right? One seed, you plant it, it grows a bunch of apples. Whoa, wait a minute. A tree doesn't produce the fruit of the seed just once, just because it was one seed. The seed produces multiple of the same. All right, hold on. Wait a minute. You plant the seed, you water the seed, you nourish it, it grows. This means that you don't just throw it there. There's a the, the parable of the seed sower, right? So you don't just take a, a bunch of seeds and throw them anywhere, right? Because now you got to plant them in the right ground, right? We talking about money. All right, listen to me. You plant them in the right ground and then and then you nourish it. This means it takes time. This means it doesn't happen overnight. I don't believe in get-rich-quick schemes. Um, I don't believe in, like, I don't play the lottery. Oh, go play the lottery, get rich. I don't believe in none of that because when you get money overnight, the money grew faster than your brain. And now your mind and your education don't even know how to handle the money you got, which is why a lot of athletes go broke, which is why the average person that wins the lottery, hundreds of millions of dollars, they go broke. Why? Because they money grew faster than their brain. They don't have the mindset to even control the money they have. So poof, they lose it. You feel what I'm saying? Poof, be gone. Thank you so much, Mel. All right, I ain't done. All right, Pete. So if you take this apple, the seed for an apple tree, you plant this one seed, you take care of it. Over time, you nourish it. You do the right thing, right? You water it. You give it the sunlight. All right, let God, sun, let the sun shine on you, right? So you you take your money. You you planted your money in good ground. You, you, you put it in the right places at the right time. You nourished it. You watered it. You ain't just spend it, right? You, you're not controlled by your money. You can hold off on the Louis bag. You can hold off on the, on the J's and the Yeezys. You can hold off on all these things in their due time. You are nourishing your seed. You're taking care of your seed. You watering your seed. And then you understand that through delayed gratification over time, when that seed starts growing, if you put a thousand dollars in there, it's not just going to give you a thousand. See, when you make a good investment or you, um, you know, you could put your money in a CD in a bank and get 5% interest these days over a nine to 12 month period. That means it's giving you 5% more than you put in there. That means that it's not just giving you back what you put in. That's how seeds work. All right. So now that we understand what up, Renee, how you doing, sister? Now that you understand this concept that if money is a seed, if it's properly planted, properly nourished over time, let the sun shine on it, water it, take care of it. It's not just going to produce $1 because you put $1 in there. Now I got to go back to Matthew 4, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, the parable of the talents. When the person with the five talents went and invested their money, they doubled the money to 10. 
because money is a seed that does not just produce whatever you put. It doubled it. It didn't just give you one. All right, cool. Now we not done. We not done. If money can be leveraged like a seed, then if I take care of it, that also means that not all seeds, seeds planted in the wrong ground don't produce good fruit. So that means there's bad money too. Oh, there's bad money. All money ain't good money, fam. See, some of us love money so much that we'll do anything to get it. I don't believe we should operate like that as believers. I don't believe that money should be the main thing I'm going after. See, in this conversation of trying to have a healthy way to talk about money, I want to talk about the value of money, the pros of money, how to leverage and use money, but I don't want to talk about money in a way that it controls us. I don't want to talk about money in a way that if you don't have it, you are less than or you can't get it, especially if you're operating in the mindset of a believer in the principles. This is more so about a lot of us are only broke, not because we ain't never made money. We broke because we ain't never properly stewarded money. A lot of us, more money has gone through your hands than anything else. All right, think about it. A person that make $50,000 a year over 10 years, I hate to put it to you, you have just made $500,000 somehow, right? You ain't even thought about it that way. You made $50,000 the last five years. Well, guess what? You touched $250,000 one way or another. You stewarded $250,000. Or did it steward you? You feel what I'm saying? Do you feel what I'm saying? What up, fam? Thank you so much. So here's the other part to the money growing on trees. This is why I love it. You do the wrong thing with that seed, just like the parable of the uh, sower. It, you, you, can, you can sow in bad ground, and, and that money, you played the lottery all these years. You went to the casino, won $2,000. It's gone, just like that. Money is gone. Money gone. You had it, it's gone. But here's the other beautiful thing about understanding that money grows on trees. When you see a tree, <laughs> this is dope to me. When you see a tree, let's say you driving on the freeway and you see a tree. It don't usually just be one tree. <laughs> Ain't too many times in life that you see a tree and you just see one. See, this is the beauty of planting seeds. When you plant multiple seeds in multiple places over multiple years, when a group of trees come together, at some point, it's at least a park, right? Like at some point, it's a park. You keep going, it might be a, it might be a forest. At some point, you see a group of trees, it's the jungle. I, I was in Honduras last week. I'm looking at like, my wife was like, that's the jungle. I'm like, that's the jungle. Whole bunch of trees, bro. What is the point I'm making? The point I'm making is a lot of us, you didn't just get your taxes this year. That's one seed. You got a bonus from your job. Yeah, some of y'all won a case. Some of y'all got a stimulus check. You got a PPP. These are all seeds. Every time you get a check, every time you get a lump sum of money, these are seeds that you are planting somewhere. And what most of us are not realizing is that we got a whole forest in our hand by the end of the year. 
because money does grow on trees. What does that mean? That means that I believe that you can plant over here. All right, cool. Did the right thing with this money. Cool. Did the right thing with this money. Gave something to some people that needed something. Helped the church. Did Like you can plant seeds over time and then just let them grow. The problem with us is this is what we're doing with our money. We get in our checks. We put it in the ground. We pull it out. It ain't a tree yet. It's not a tree yet, bro. You uprooting that money and just, you got all these seeds, all these trees in your hand, but you won't let it be a tree. You won't even let the money. Some of us can't, you can't save $250 because you just looking at it in the bank every day like, oh, well, you know I need a, some of us, our needs increase the moment we get money. Like, bro, calm down. Act like you've been somewhere before. I ask people all the time, like, I ask simple questions. What would you do with $25,000? Most people tell me how they would spend $25,000. I'm like, that's not a plan for $25,000. That's a plan to spend $25,000. But how can you grow it? Start thinking about your money as a seed that grows extra money, that grows into a tree that has money on it. When you start thinking about your money as growing on trees, then you'll do better things with your seeds. See, some of us look at something, look at money as something that's scarce. Like, oh my God, I gotta hurry up and spend it because this is the last time I'm gonna listen. If it's that scarce, if it's the end of the world, then it don't have value anyway. Stop letting your money control you. Take control. Whoop your money. Just, I know we don't whoop kids no more. Cool. I'm not telling you to whoop your kids, but I'm telling you to beat your money. Beat your <laughs> Beat your money because your money is running you. Some of us getting ran by this money. You feel me, Renee? Look, we guilty as ever. All right, money does grow on trees. I'll talk about that more later. But if you do the right thing with money time and time again, look, get your taxes this year and figure out the right way to do, do things because some of us just, you got a whole forest in your pocket and you throwing it around and you won't let it grow. And yet you keep complaining that you don't have money and you keep telling your kids that money don't grow on trees. So when you tell yourself that money doesn't grow on trees, that means you don't treat money like a seed because there's no way you could you could call money a seed. Like there's no way that you could call money a seed and then tell yourself that money don't grow on trees because seeds produce fruit of their kind. If money is a seed, then it grows into a tree that produces fruit of its kind. All right. Again, if you, I, I feel it. I know you can't rock with that. I got you, but it's a mindset. When you think about this idea, um, there's this concept, um, pay yourself first, right? Um, this is talked about Robert Kiyosaki talks about it in rich dad, poor dad, which is one of my favorite books. The Richest Man in Babylon um, gives this concept, which I think Robert probably got it from that. That book is like over 100 years old. And The Richest Man in Babylon talks about it. Robert Kiyosaki, I can talk, talks about it. You'll hear a lot of wealthy people use this term to pay yourself first. Now, again, on the surface, right, it doesn't make sense because you're thinking, I got bills. Like, I got, like, I don't got time to be, like, what are you talking about pay myself first? Well, once you have a mindset where you are responsible and you're in control of your money, paying yourself first 
is a great thing because you're trusting and paying a responsible person. Here's the point. When you look at all your bills, most of us think about money through the lens of bills, right? I need enough money to cover these bills, which you do. That is important. But what happens is that's not money that is ever growing into a seed. That that's that, that's not a seed that's growing. Uh, that ain't really great ground. You just throwing the, you throwing those seeds off to the side. Those are just recurring bills um, that you need to pay, but they're not growing into anything. If you live a life, this is the problem with living check to check or living a life where you just have liabilities. Meaning you live in check to check, and then when you do get a couple extra dollars, you go and buy something that doesn't grow. Like it's not you're not planting your 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 money seed in good ground, right? You're buying something that you want and you feel good about it because you don't understand uh, delayed gratification yet. But then over time, you look up and that that money was gone, and you can't even remember everything that you did with it, right? The idea of paying yourself first is once you start becoming financially literate and understanding the value of money, then you could say, well, yes, I need to pay these bills, but be like, I need to always have some portion of my money going into good ground that's going to grow and produce fruit of its kind. There should always be some portion of my money when I get any money, some portion of it. That means things like learning how to invest. Now, I'm not advising you financially. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not telling you to run and go invest money if you don't understand what investing is or how it works. I'm urging you and challenging you to go out and study investing, learn how to invest. We study everything else. We study, like, some of us spend hours on social media, and we can't spend 15 minutes a day uh, reading a book about finances, yet we all want and need money, right? Investing is a powerful tool. Um, whether that be real estate, whether that be the stock market, whether that be crypto, um, a lot of investing is about understanding how to invest. But or, or hey, saving in a in a in a savings account, an interest bearing account, there they do exist these days. You have online banks. Um, all you got to do is look at depositaccounts.com. That's how you can look at all the banks in the country and see what their interest rates are. And hey, go and put your money somewhere where it gains four or five percent these days. Um, interest rates are so high when when interest rates and inflation happens what people don't know is like the bank the banks also have to give more as well not really your standard brick and mortar banks you know the everyday uh, banks you're not going to get a lot of value but if you go and find certain banks you will get 4 to 5% on savings and things like that maybe you pay yourself first and put $25 in a savings account remember this is a seed that you're planting and you're grooming over time this is an important thing that I'm about to say we have to stop thinking about money as something that needs to happen quickly. Look, you've been broke for 20 years. <laughs> that didn't happen quick. Being broke don't even happen quick. You've been cooking. Like, being broke is like a, mar a chicken just marinating for years. You just, we get used to it. We get comfortable. I was broke for years. You get comfortable being broke. Being broke sometimes is a superpower. Like, how did I even make that money last? I remember one time me and my wife went to Vegas, our one-year anniversary. Went to Las Vegas, man. I think we had like 300 and something dollars over like four or five days. How, however many days it was, the hundreds, we didn't have $100 per day in Las Vegas, okay? Just take that into consideration. This was a while ago, though. But we came back, I think I had, I, I don't remember if it was $6 or $9, 
I remember we went to breakfast that last day to this restaurant. It was called like the American something restaurant in the New York, New York hotel. That restaurant isn't there no more. They had some really good breakfast. The pancake was like the size of a plate. And I remember, I think that breakfast was like $36 or something. And I had about $45 and I was like, "Woo, we barely made that. Like we barely, we came home with dollars, but I'm like, yo, that's, that's pretty good. On one hand, I, 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 exercise a superpower because I made that money stretch. On the other hand, what I didn't tell y'all that I just thought about, that was my rent money. <laughs> that was part of the rent. So I, I was late on my rent. They charged me a late fee. I was mad. And I got so mad when my lease was up, I moved from that place simply because I was like a day late on the rent and they still charged me. And I was just mad. Anyway, that that's a story. All right, let's keep it moving. Should Christians want riches? I got a couple more things, three more things to say. Find a purpose greater than you. Notice I'm not really answering the question for you. This is a question that you should be thinking about, and I'm giving you things to think about as you answer the question for yourself. Find a purpose greater than you. One thing that I don't believe, I actually think a lot of non-believers with money understand this, but poor people and rich people think about money differently. How do I know this? Because I've, I've been poor and I've read a bunch of uh, books and listened to a bunch of podcasts about how rich people think, right? So it's like being poor, I thought about money a particular way, right? You really think about money from a very selfish standpoint. This is why poverty is such an idol to me that I want to tear down because poverty makes you selfish because you feel like all I can do is think about me because I don't have nothing. I can't do nothing. Like, it's just about me, right? Or, ooh, or you enable others to be like that. Because people in poverty are also enablers. They're, like, one of, the, one of the key aspects of poverty is that no one wants you to learn for yourself, right? We want to give everyone handouts, and we want to think we can save everyone from poverty by giving them handouts, which you can't do. That doesn't mean don't do charity. Excuse me. You could give, you could do charity. Let me, let me take a sip of mine. What I got in here? Apple juice. Some apple juice in here today. Um, look, charity has its place, but charity ain't going to change your life. Charity will change your moment. Meaning if I go and stand in the line at a soup kitchen tonight, that's necessary. I get soup tonight, but I don't get soup for the rest of my life. Right. And so charity has a very particular, a specific purpose, but we have to understand that handouts answer an immediate need sometimes that's great but they don't answer the overall need nobody overcomes poverty by handouts right you can again you can get you can pay one bill you can get something that night but then two weeks later you're poor again you're still poor so poverty it, it just it does something where it makes us think that we can just make someone else get out when i believe that you a person has to be educated out of poverty. I think financial literacy and healthy conversations about money and changing the way they think about money, and they have to decide to not want to think like poverty. And poverty has such a stronghold on people that literally some people with a poverty mindset will hear some of the things I'm saying today and literally argue me into their blue in the face. But these people don't have money. And so one of the things that's interesting to me, it's like a sick person arguing with a with with a doctor who has given, you know, a remedy to someone or, or whatever that that 
healed him. And it's like, you still sick. And you telling me why everyone has to be sick, but these people over here are healed. And you just haven't accepted the healer, right? This is how we are with Jesus. It's like, we just haven't accepted him. And so it's a mindset, um, a stubborn mindset to want to stay in sin. That's how poverty is. Some people actually want to stay poor because it actually reinforces their mindset, victim mentality, blaming others, creating excuses. Poverty helps you keep that fire brewing and going, right? As long as I have a poverty mindset, um, you know, I could think like that. LFGA, isn't the best way to manage money is to stay on a written budget. Um, yes, I think that's a great way to manage money. I really do. Um, here's how I feel about that. Um, cause people have different perspectives about budgets. The general answer to that question from my opinion is yes. I think one of the best things you could do is first write down your, all of your expenses. People frame this up as what it costs to be you. We've talked about that on the show before. Understand what it costs to be you start there. And then, you know, like budget how you're going to afford to be you, right? So yes, and then stay within that budget that that represents disciplines and things like that. Now, I do believe that as you grow your your both your education and your finances, some people choose to stay in a written budget. Um I don't necessarily personally think it's as important to stay um to the dollar within a written budget, but I more so stay within the philosophy, right? So, it may not be to the dollar for me, but the ideology of this money goes over here, this money goes over here, this money. Again, what I do is I look at how many grounds do I have, right? This is how I plant my, my money seeds. It's like, all right, we have my future over here. That's one ground that I want to plant seeds in. We have my uh, immediate today. I call it today, tomorrow, forever. So we have forever. I want to plant seeds in a forever bucket. That might mean my retirement account or IRA or thinking about, you know, the older me. All right, great. We want to plant seeds today for him and his wife. Like, all right, me and my wife, we plant those seeds today. We want to we want to take care of the today, right? We want to plant those seeds and, and stay within that. And then the tomorrow. Tomorrow may be a vacation in six months, right? Tomorrow may be um, having an emergency fund for the just in case the water heater goes out, right? So I look at it through the, the lens of today, tomorrow, forever. And then when I get money, I plant seeds in each of those grounds. And the more seeds I can plant in each of those grounds, they grow over time. And so then it becomes less important for me with my specific strategy and philosophy to necessarily budget down to the dollar. But like, let's say if I got, $1,000 today, I would potentially decide, all right, how do I want to plant this $1,000? I already know the grounds. And I do think that's the importance of like a budget and writing things down is that you need like, most people are freestyling with money. That's how we operate in poverty. That's how I operated when I operated in poverty. I just got money and thought of what I was going to do in the moment. And then you look up and the money is gone. Literally, you didn't even plan. But I think a plan is important because it's like, all right, I got $1,000. All right, are we gonna split this up? We got we know we got three grounds to plant in. Which are we gonna plant a thousand in one of them, five hundred and two of them, or three thirty-three a piece in all of them? That's how I look at it whenever I get something. So again, it's not, I guess in a way I'm still splitting the money, but it's it's less about that and more just about like if I can keep planting seeds 
in each of these grounds. And here is the important part, and this is also the challenging part for people. The challenging part is remaining disciplined to those grounds. And I'm going to give you the example. Because what will happen is once you start planning in your grounds, you have to exercise discipline not to touch the, the money in this ground to like you don't pull trees early that's how i look at it like i planted these seeds i'm watering these seeds they need to grow i can't start pulling uh uh premature trees out of the ground that haven't fully grown and developed uh to take care of something over here to the left right so meaning you know i'm not taking money out of my retirement uh account uh because um because my auntie need to pay her phone bill Right. So it might be like, well, I love you, auntie, but your phone bill is not life or death. Number one. I just watched you buy the new Yeezys for two fifty three weeks ago. And then now you're coming to me because you heard me on my podcast talk about the money tree. So now you thinking, yo, he got some bread, but you ain't understanding that. No, I'm just operating in certain disciplines. I might not even have that much money. I just have a philosophy of how I'm spending my money. So this is where I love it because it's not even about how much money I have. Who cares how much money I have? Whether it's a lot or a little, I know that if I keep operating in this philosophy over time, Lord willing, by the grace of God, I will have what I need for each of those buckets as they come up. But I don't pull from each of them just to make other people happy. Look, this is a part. Um, this is the part where, uh, people really struggle with when they get money. And I'm going to answer the question. I see the, the question in here. What do I mean? Not, to, not down to the dollar. Give me one second. I got you. I got you. This is the part that's tough because what happens, and this is a challenging thing about money is that when people think you have money, you might not change, but people definitely change. It's a, it's a weird thing in life, but people will change. And um, you have to have some level of discipline. You have to know when it's something that you you got to be led. This is why God needs to be in the picture because you need to be led by God and know, all right, when do I need to step in and do something and when do I need to hold true to my values because you don't want to be an enabler. And it's one of the one of the tough things in life is when you can enable somebody, especially somebody you love. A lot of us enable those we love. What do I mean by being an enabler? I mean, all right, I see my auntie over here. She she refuses to manage her money properly to pay her phone bill. I feel bad that her phone bill is out, and I know I got the money, but I'm watching you every month, auntie. If I, if I keep paying this phone bill for you, you're never going to learn the values and the principles of God. Remember what I said earlier, a, de, a poor determined person will gain more value out of life than a rich entitled person. So I'm not saying no to you, auntie, to be mean. I'm saying no, because that ain't going to solve your problem. You just going to come back to me next month after you mismanage your money. What I would rather do is give you this free game and teach you exactly what I'm doing. And it's a choice for you to do it as well. And if you want to grow money trees, you can go plant in your own ground and now you don't have to come to me and you feel better about yourself because now you are the head and not the tail. You are the lender, not the borrower. We talk about those things. We talk about being a lender, not the borrower, but we didn't. We got a borrower mentality. We only operate as the borrower, but we say that all the time. Now, what do I mean about not down to the dollar to answer your question? Um, 
what I mean by that, to be specific, is like some people write down a budget, and I, I know successful people that do this as well. So th I'm not, this isn't about me saying don't write down to the dollar. But I'm saying some people will get money and they will write down exactly like, all right, I got $200 for food. I got 150 for this. I do think that's really good to do in the beginning. I just have a different personality. I, I'm more of a macro person. So I look at the big picture, and on the big picture, I know that I'm going to try to split this money three ways, one way or another, right? Now, maybe that means I spent $400 over here and 350 over here, whatever. For me, it's more about planning in each of the grounds than saying, oh, my God, I said I was going to spend $200 on entertainment this month, and I spent $400. Oh, it's over. No, I, like for me, it's not. It's not like that. I'm not. But again, I want to be clear that when I one of the first things I said is what can you handle um, in the in the beginning of this conversation? We have to know ourselves. I know myself. I know that I'm a fairly disciplined person when it comes to finances. I know that. Um, also, know I'm a big spender, so <laughs> I just am in certain moments. So what I mean by that is like I will operate in delayed gratification. I will you know, not spend money for months. Um, I don't waste money. I don't look at it as like I have money to waste. But then I'll go to dinner with some friends and just decide in a moment I'm paying for everybody. Like, so for me, it's like, it's like I will overspend in a moment that I see as valuable, right? And I, I try to, again, like, I'm... I, get, I I love experiences and moments. And so, again, there are moments that that I will just maybe overextend in a particular moment. But because I saved or, like, had so much discipline for so long, it was less about in that moment spending $100 versus $300 and more just about I've operated in these disciplines to give myself a little leeway to be able to color outside of the lines. So... Okay, you said that make a lot of sense. Cool. So I, I wanted to make sure I answered your question there. That was a great question. Um, but I think it's about knowing ourselves and really knowing what you can handle. And again, like being real with yourself. And I'm going to say this as we talk about should a Christian want riches. I think, you know, I said find a purpose greater than you. One of the things we got to realize is the why is very important. Why do you want money? It's very easy to want money just to show it to other people. Let's just call a spade a spade. Like, let's just be real, right? There is a part of us that wants people, well, especially people in your past, you definitely want them to know you're successful. Um, and then people in your present, a lot of time you want to compare. So maybe they're successful and you want to prove you're just as successful as them. Maybe they're not successful and you want to show that you are successful, right? So I think one of the things as a believer that we have to do is fight our flesh, right? And this is something that, I try my best to do. I'm not saying I do it perfectly, whatever. I think it's something we should strive to do. Um, social media is probably the easiest way that most of us do it. I give you the example that I see the absolute most. A uh, person gets a new car. Uh, they got a Benz. It's like they post 25 pictures of this car, and it's like, I want to thank God for blessing me. This person got a Porsche. Thank God for blessing me with this Porsche. Person gets a huge house. The, the post is like, isn't God good? And it's like, I'm not judging you for that, right? So this ain't, I've seen this a million times. This ain't about nobody in particular. 
But what I, what I always look at it as, I'm like, yo, if we just be real with ourselves, you kind of just wanted to show your house. Like, let's let's be real. Like, didn't you kind of just want to show the house? It's kind of like you ever see a guy uh, talking in a video, and you could tell when he just got a cut, he, like, turning. I'm like, why is my man, like, turning his head? It's like, oh, he got a fresh cut. This video is just about his haircut. I see it all the time. Like, this video means nothing. You didn't want to say this yesterday before you got the crispy cut, but I get it. You got a haircut. You want people to see it. To a certain extent, that's understandable, right? But I think as believers, we have to be careful of why do we want money. It shouldn't be to stun on people. And this is that, like, the reason I'm saying this is because some of us want to just show off designer brands and big houses and fancy cars and jewelry and things. And what we're doing is we are perpetuating a mentality with people to be excessive and the Bible talks about, you know, all things are cool in moderation, right? Like, hey, maybe it's cool. You got, you know, you you got a chain here, a jacket here, this and that, whatever it is. But when you present fashion and things that are expensive at the forefront without ever actually talking to people about, like, why that's good, why it's bad. We don't give any context. You just keep showing me Louis Vuitton every week. Now you're influencing me. You're an influencer, right? Christian influencer. You're influencing me. Now I want to be like you. Now I'm going to waste all my money to look like you. You're this preacher I watch on TV all the time. You're this person I see, this singer I see on TV all the time, and I want to be like you. And again, you can you can say, like, that's my fault, but the Bible talks about not being a stumbling block unto, unto others. We should provide context to people to let them know, like, hey, man, I, you don't got to go out and spend no money to prove nothing to me, and, like, don't waste your money. You need that in your retirement fund, fam. Like, that's going to have way more value in the retirement fund then on Instagram, you showing me that you got a certain car or something. And first of all, can you really afford that car? Because I'm be honest, like cars was expensive the last couple of years and they took incentives away. They just brought incentives back like literally in January, February this year. Um, but the interest rates are higher. So even on leases and things like you have to this is like the value in being financially literate is also understanding the time horizon. So then you start understanding not just the right thing to do, but when is the right time to do it, right? Uh, let's see. We got another question over here. Why do you think Christians especially villainize money and make it seem like it's bad to be rich? We're nowhere in about. Yeah, like I talked a little bit about that at the beginning of this, where um, I think it's just that we don't have healthy ways of talking about money and people get turned off sometimes by what seems quote unquote evil or negative. So I'll give you an example, right? Some of that is actually the church's fault to me. You'll have a pastor, you see these famous pastors and this is no shade. Like I'm not here to like bash people and stuff, but I believe in context, right? Like, so if I was walking around with a private jet, like, and, and I was a public figure, whether publicly or privately, the people around me, they would know the context of like, why I got the jet. I always tell people, I'll tell you how I got it because I think how you got something is important as well. So you will have like pastors as an example, famous pastor, they got a private jet. Well, they're not really telling us what money they using to get it. So what ends up happening is, yo, know, well, we just looking and assuming like, well, yo, you riding around a private jet and then you still asking all these poor people for offering and tithes and stuff. You using the church money, da-da-da. Well, maybe that pastor, let's say if that pastor was a real estate mogul, 
um, before he was even a pastor or while he was a pastor, and he has his real estate money. Again, that's one tree, one ground he plant. Maybe he don't even take a salary from the church, and the church is literally his service unto the Lord. Well, if you are a real estate agent or an entrepreneur and you made your own money, by all means, get a jet, a Porsche, a big house, and all of that. But if we understand that contextually, then now we're understanding money in a healthy way and we understand the money that the saints are giving in the church is going towards the church. You're transparent about um, your, your balance sheet and what you're doing and your budget. But what you end up having a lot of time in church is you have these pastors and leaders who are showing the material things without context. And so you have poor members sitting in a congregation of a church watching a person that's perceived to be wealthy without the context of how they gained their wealth or what's happening with this money. And the pastor may not be doing nothing bad. So I'm not here to say you're doing nothing shady. I'm just saying what it looks like. And so as believers, a lot of times that's why you hear pe people talk about pastors in a certain light where it's like, bro, why don't y'all just talk about it? Why don't we just have a platform and a space to actually discuss money? And then why don't we also teach and educate members on how to take care of their families? And maybe they're not going to be a millionaire like you because the reality is maybe they don't have a million dollar idea. But I think as believers, we just have to find ways to talk about money in a healthy way. And then we will be able to get beyond some of those unhealthy ways um, and mindsets um, about money. You feel what I'm saying? Appreciate it, fam. Definitely appreciate it. Um, look, Here's an important thing. We need to learn from the Bible. I wrote a couple things down. The prodigal son. I wrote down three, three stories in the Bible that I think we can learn from, and this is where I'm going to end this episode at. The first one is the prodigal son. We always look at the prodigal son through the lens of the prodigal son coming back home and being forgiven and welcomed back in, and that's a very important aspect of the story. But I think what we can really learn from as well, especially financially, is how did the prodigal son end up out there lost with nothing in the first place? The prodigal son took his inheritance early. He uprooted a tree that wasn't ready to be uprooted. It had not fully developed. So he had to see, right, that his father, this inheritance that he had, that was a money tree that was going to grow in the right time. And then what he could do in the meantime is stay in his father's home, right, uh, where he had access to his father's resources and money, taking care of things, let that tree develop, and then in, the, in due time, you take that tree once it's matured. Again, the mindset of the prodigal son was that I want it now. He didn't understand delayed gratification. Now, by the grace of God, just like me, I've been broke. You might have been broke. You might be richer than me and have way more money than me now. Like you, you might have it all. At the end of the day, though, it's not about the amounts of money. It's about the mindset. And it's about the fact that, yes, God does forgive us. He gives us a second opportunity. And that's a huge part of this is that you don't have to feel like no matter where you are in your journey, don't feel like you can't overcome it. That's my real message. Don't feel like you can't overcome it to get what God has for you. But also understand how you got there. You got there because of some of your decisions. I overdrafted my account because of decisions I made. I was late on my rent because of decisions I made. I'm not blaming anyone else. And that's the mindset that we have to have. We have to stop blaming everyone for everything in our lives. And then you'll stop expecting somebody to come and save you 
and rescue you from problems you created and that you have the power to overcome. Now, I'm not talking about like, oh, you're sitting here starving. Uh, you know, somebody in your family is starving tonight and you're not going to feed them because you're talking about, hey, well, where's your money tree? That's not what I'm talking about. Um, we should help people in their true times of need. But we shouldn't be enablers. I don't believe in being an enabler. But I think the prodigal son teaches us, hey, don't grab, don't, don't uproot your money tree too early. Like, have some discipline, some patience. Control yourself. Be able to see money. Some of us say we want to be millionaires, but every time we get $500 in the bank, we spend it because we can't control ourselves. How could you ever be a millionaire if you can't be a 500 air? Be a 500 air. Be a thousand air first. Some of us want to just bless me with a million, God. No, I'm going to bless you with a thousand and see if you could just look at that for 30 days without spending it. Some of us can't look at money without spending it and say we want to be a millionaire. You will lose that overnight. All right. So that, yeah, that victim mentality, whew, that's not a godly mindset at all. Secondly, story of Joseph. This is a different concept that we can learn about money and the power and the mindset to give to others and to save. I talk about the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis a lot. And it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, I have made my most popular YouTube video actually is like 15,000 views. And it's a one minute video of me talking about uh, this strategy that I'm about to share with you right now, which is this 20% saving strategy that I took right from the book of Genesis. It's a financial strategy. And um, this is where Joseph, uh, God gave him the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. In this interpretation, he gave Joseph the exact plan of how to save during the famine, save during the good times to be prepared for the famine, right? So again, it's this delayed uh, gratification mindset. But what was most important was when the famine came. Y'all got to hear me out. People may look at you like you crazy. They may laugh at you. I've been laughed at. I've been laughed at for saving, laughed at for making uh, good financial um, decisions in a particular moment. But then when the famine comes, when the time comes, understanding the time horizon, the time horizon I explain is like, you know, today's situation and circumstance isn't always reflective of tomorrow's. And that's why I have the today, tomorrow, forever, because I'm understanding the time horizon of how time passes and situations change. And you don't want to just waste all your money in today and not have nothing for tomorrow forever. With Joseph, though, the most amazing thing was when he um, operated in this savings plan that God had led him to save 20% of their wheat and their resources for seven years of good times to be prepared for seven years of famine. When the famine came, everyone was coming to their land. Everyone was coming there for resources. And his own family who sold him away in slavery found themselves coming back to, to, to Joseph without knowing it was him for resources. And one of the most powerful things in the Bible to me is that Joseph, although he cried and wept, he took care of his family. And they sold him into slavery when he shared the dream and the idea of them bowing to the, him. And then later on, they bowed to him. And he was able to use the resources he saved in their greatest time of need. A lot of times people close to you want to take from your tree too early without knowing that they're taking from the tree that's being planted to save them in their time of need.
I love that. I think there's a lot that we can get from that. And understanding that part of being a good steward and having these conversations about money is growing in maturity financially. Let's just be honest. Some of us are immature financially. We don't know how to talk about money properly. We don't actually know how to have a discussion around how to be a good steward because we're not looking at the word of God to guide us in our finances. Lastly, the rich young ruler. With everything that I've said today, I want you to understand that the rich young ruler was a young man whose money became such an idol to him that he chose his money over God, over following Jesus Christ. Don't matter how much money you get. It don't matter how successful you become. Don't matter how many money trees and all the stuff I just said you have. It should never, ever, 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 ever come before Jesus Christ. And there may be a time that you got to sacrifice all your money. Your money may lose its value, but your life didn't lose its value. If you, um, the Lord give it the Lord's take of the way, if you lost everything you had today and had to start over, you still have something worth living for because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. And so my point there, what we can learn from the rich young ruler is that part of this um, ability to have a mature um, conversation and thought process and development around finances is to understand where they belong on your priority list. Excuse me. They're not your number one priority. Uh, finances don't come before God. And if you ever find yourself in a situation in life where you got to choose money over God, always, always choose God. Listen, I've enjoyed this episode and kicking it with you. This has been Inspire God's People, episode 218. If you enjoy this, please do like, share, comment, subscribe on YouTube at Inspire God's People. Um, yeah, man, I love doing this. This is something I'm passionate about, this podcast. I have my ups and downs with it, if you want me to be honest. Um, just a lot of it is just, you know, what do I want to be doing at this point in my life? These are the type of conversations I, I really want to have on podcasts. And I know that people are really into spicy, wild content. A lot of people don't really want to kind of have these type of conversations. And so, uh, I'm challenging myself to continue to present them in the best way possible because I do enjoy them. Um, and I love Inspire Guys people, but I'm busy. I got all kind of things going on in my life, and I'm really working on prioritizing where everything stands. You know what I'm saying? Like where does Inspire Guys people fit versus where, you know, my corporate career fits versus ministry versus music. And, you know, look, the beautiful thing about life is like life has different seasons and times, and I try to be aware of what I should be doing in a particular moment. But I enjoy this, and I appreciate everybody that listens to this. Thank you so much, LFGA. Uh, appreciate it. Um, but, yeah, subscribe on YouTube. Uh, I got an interview next week. Uh, I think we got next Monday. Uh, I got an interview coming up. Um, I'm looking forward to that with an entrepreneur out of the Detroit area. She's doing amazing things. I've been watching and following her for a long time. And these are I want to have these conversations and highlight people in the, in the body of Christ, man, that I believe will inspire you and help you become genuinely a better person um, in your walk with Christ. So that's what this is all about. Much love to y'all, man. Y'all have an amazing, amazing, amazing day. This has been Real 